Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Off the Bench with Benny Johns. Hey, welcome to another big edition of Off the Bench as we recap the week that was in sports. And of course, we're in the midst of another juicy weekend of sporting contests across a number of codes. The Fed Cup final over there in Perth. Good luck to Ash Barty and the girls, led by Alicia Mollick, their coach, hoping to break a long-standing tennis drought and finally win ourselves a Fed Cup. Of course, another big weekend in the A-League, the NBL, the T20s are, uh, of course, about to conclude and we're gearing up for another big summer of Test cricket with Pakistan and New Zealand in town. So lots to look forward to. Uh, It's been a huge week for the Matildas and they've got a big game coming up against Chile at Bankwest Stadium. But off the field, uh, a huge deal that we'll catch up with former Matilda Sarah Walsh to discuss when it comes to collective bargaining agreements. Uh, That is still ahead of us. But, of course, the big event through the week, the race that stopped the nation on Tuesday. That was the running of the Melbourne Cup, and it was won by an Aussie. Bred, trained, and heavily backed to vow and declare. Wasn't the favourite when the gates went back, but it was certainly very popular on course. And once again, two years running, the number 23 blanket has saluted. Craig Williams was the jockey on board. His first Melbourne Cup success at his 16th attempt. It was a race that had its fair share of controversy late on as well. But the boys on Sports Day, Vic, caught up with the winning jockey, Craig Williams. Let's hear the chat with Andrew Bensley and also alongside him, Dwayne Russell. But Craig Williams joins us on Sports Day. How does it feel, Craig, to be a Melbourne Cup winning jockey? Amazing, guys. Absolutely amazing. It's uh, such an honour. And, um, and, and to do it on Bound to Clare, great training performance by Danny O'Brien and his team because he was third up. And, wow, it's, it is so special. I know when um, and you know, they talk about doing it, and I remember going to the movies and watching the Hugh Jackman movie. I love Hugh Jackman. So, <laughs> come on. Really watching his movie, and um, and I remember when when we were invited out by Sake uh, Farhad and uh, David Redbers and Christopher there, and my wife was so positive. Said, "Well, when you win the Melbourne Cup, you'll now know what to do." So um, it's look, it's been fantastic. It's amazing. Not only did we win the race that, that stops the nation, but um, it's now it's a world targeted race, and you can see by the entrance today. But we did it with an Australian bread. So well, well done to Val Declare. He was awesome today. And, Craig, uh, congratulations. I mean, you've ridden so many Group 1 winners over time. You've been one of the greatest jockeys this country's ever seen. But we talk about, you know, in the world of sport, the the greatest golfer that's never won a major or the greatest tennis player that's never won a Grand Slam. And I suppose uh, we can now talk about you as a Melbourne Cup winner. How does it feel for you to be able to – it might not have been a monkey on your back, but does it feel like you've ticked a box that your life desperately needed you to tick? No. Um, I, we, we decided that was never going to be – a no race, I was, we said it was never going to be a defining moment, but to actually win it was just is amazing. And I'm very fortunate for my career, and and I can't stop thinking that I have that many great people around me because it's not a solo effort, and that's where I'm really lucky. So it's a team effort, and um, and wow, it's it's quite amazing. Um, I had to had the next three races, and and the job is to win, and everyone was just so congratulative of, of winning. 
our greatest race, the Melbourne Cup. So it was, yeah, fantastic. And just, I'll go back because Barry Barry cut in, but what, the emotions of just coming back into the mounting yard, how, how was that knowing that you'd won it? Oh, I thought Barry did a good job to cut you off, so I didn't tell you how I teared <laughs> up. And, but I'm lucky. I'm, I'm a father of four children. And they're all at the races. My wife's at the races. Um, my parents are at the races. I, I was just... Really lucky. It was it was a great day to to have success and have all the people that have been around for me. Um, you know when you know, when I was winning races and just had that support and love. I was love. Um, I'm able to share it with them and really enjoy dinner tonight. Now a couple of quick ones on the race because Danny O'Brien has already said tonight on uh, on Sports Day, Craig, that your move of jumping out of the barriers and going forth quickly was the winning move. Did you have that in your mind? Before the race started, no, we I went out and walked the track in between. I got lucky because there's only small gaps between, and the barrier blokes actually drove me around, dropped me off, and I walked another 600 meters. And then the barrier blokes had to come pick me up again because they were in the manning out, manning out for the race before. So um, we, we we covered all the bases, did all our homework, and and Danny was great. He just gave me an open book, but he also said something to me yesterday and said, "Look, I'm confident you can use the horse up if you want to, and you relax." And so they didn't tie me down and. Basically, I trusted the horse, and he just he got across effortlessly, and 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 that's why he had such a good fight at the end of the race. That was my. So, that, they're finding something yeah. down the straight. We were talking about it off air a little bit. Uh, did you always have the belief that it had the last two hundred in it? I never have any belief until um, until you're over the line in Group One races, and um, so I was just working with him and encouraging him, and <laughs> it was awesome. He was awesome, and you could sense. Uh, obviously, Master of Reality had the kick on you um, around the bend. He really made it a staying test. Uh, and then, could you sense Il Paradiso trying to get between you? I mean, how did did you think that the horse surged at the end? Yeah, uh, no doubt, Andrew. He, um, he, well, there's no doubt that Frankie was able to put two lengths on me. And I think even maybe um, Prince of Baron went past me as well. And I just kept working with my fella and. I remember even getting changing my um, my position in the saddle to drop my heels down and just work on keeping momentum and and urging him along and keeping him balanced and and I was just lucky enough to do it on a horse and and I felt Il Paradiso late because he put a bit of pressure on me but all it actually did was actually um, make contact but he actually encouraged my horse to go faster so it was wow he did all the running so um, I'm indebted to Bound Declare's performance today. Craig, um, Melbourne Cup winning jockey. Uh, you should be very proud. You've won uh, all of them now, all the features. This was the one that you just need to tick off, and you've done that today, and you've left the track. I mean, how many people came up to you as you were leaving? Oh, well, I was very lucky. Um, Simon Alden security guards, they come and say, oh, can I help you go out? So we hid the trophy, but <laughs> it's a privilege. Um, anyone who wants a photo with it, I'm happy to. Um, my children are tired. They want to go home to bed. I don't know if they're going to make it to Nobu, but um, they got school tomorrow and life still goes on. But it's a privilege. So I feel really honoured that um, hopefully I can be a great ambassador for our greatest race, the, the Melbourne Cup. Well, I know. Uh, Kieran McAvoy, when he won a Melbourne Cup, his kids took it to school, the uh, jockey's trophy. So your kids might be able to do that tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they're a big part of my success and I'd love to be able to share it with them. So they, they sacrifice a lot through my career and if they want to take a trophy, I'm glad I've actually got it this time because it's been eluding you for a long time and, and now it doesn't. So they're a big part of it. So they're entitled to share it.
So a very happy Craig Williams there. Speaking after his very first Melbourne Cup triumph, he now has that with the Golden Slipper, Cox Plate and Caulfield Cup. Pretty much the grand slam for Victorian jockeys. So well done to him, to the connections of Vow and declared to anyone who backed it at a slice of the try, the first four and every other betting option you could probably have had on Tuesday. Huge week of racing it has been. We'll take a quick break here on Off the Bench. When we return, we'll talk some cricket with Australian T20 fast bowling coach and recently appointed assistant coach at the Brisbane Heat, former Aussie star in his own right, Ryan Harris. That's next, right here on Off the Bench. This is Off the Bench. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Off the Bench, right around Australia. Yeah, welcome back to the program. Hope you're enjoying it. Benny Jones here with you as we look back on what has been a huge weekend of sport. We just heard from Melbourne Cup winning jockey Craig Williams speaking after his ride on Vow and Declared. Later on, we're going to talk about the Matildas. They've got some friendly matches coming up against Chile, one in Sydney, one in Adelaide, but off the field kicking goals aplenty there and lots more to look forward to on the show, including Brett Phillips to talk about all things tennis after Ash Barty's huge success in Shenzhen but also now firmly focused on helping Australia to their first Fed Cup title in a long, long time. Cricket-wise, well, our Aussie T20 team has been going very nicely as we look to add to, well, what has been a glittering trophy cabinet. Unfortunately, we are missing one piece of the puzzle, and that is a World T20 title that will all unfold here in Australia next year. But in the meantime, the preparations continue, and Ryan Harris, former Australian fast bowling superstar, has joined Justin Langer and the coaching panel to look after the fast bowling element of the side while these T20s unfold between Sri Lanka and also Pakistan. Let's hear from Ryan Harris to talk about a range of cricketing issues as he takes up his new role as a member of the Australian coaching staff. Nicely worked away on the leg side. I think in about a second, Bubba needs to hurry. To the umpire, to director, we've got a review here for a run out. We start with your best side on England. We'll bring up a 50, but not in the way you want to do it. Yeah, joining us on Sports Day, uh, summer of cricket. Well, it's underway, but the summer of test cricket is just around the corner. And, of course, we'll be heading to the Gabba for a day-night test shortly and uh, excited about that. And Pakistan, and we've got New Zealand out as well. It's going to be massive. And a man who's going to be heavily involved and has just taken on a few new roles, wearing a few new hats, is uh, Ryan Harris, former Australian fast bowling star and he joins us on the program welcome Rono. thanks Benny good to speak to you again as always mate you're with the T20 setup uh, you're out west at the moment gearing up for the uh, the third and final game tomorrow the, uh, the the way the boys are playing at the moment we could just put it down to your coaching is that that what we're leaning <laughs> yeah no I wish it'd still be my coaching mate all my influence absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no uh, I'm not going to take any credit for that at all the the guys um Oh look, it's, it's for me personally. It's great to be involved and great to um, spend time with you know um, the guys that are in this squad. They're, they're I think at the moment they're best for bowlers, for bowlers wise. They're probably the best bowling unit in the world. And yeah. um, you know, just spend some time with them and, and and yeah, just a bit more time with them. Obviously, I've, I've, I I see them a little bit in and out of Brisbane and all that sort of stuff. So it's been fantastic for them to, to actually work with them and, and get in and talk to them and. Um, but again, yeah, no credit there for me. That that's all in the, the way they prepare, the way they hmm. analyse the opposition, um, even the even the whole unit, the whole the whole side. The, you know, the, 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 I think it's showing that the way they the way they're playing their cricket, especially in this format. Um, 
that we probably haven't been as um, successful in the past. Yeah, and on that note too, Rhino, it's, it's actually one sort of glaring absence from what is a, a glittering trophy cabinet at Cricket Australia headquarters is that we've never won the the T20 World Cup. If you look at the schedule, obviously, over the next 12 months, there, there is a real emphasis on more T20 internationals. We know with Big Bash and the IPL, it gets played around the world a lot, but uh, very rarely do we get to see the Aussies do their thing on the T20 stage. That will change this year. And Is that really the message you're seeing from from inside now is that it's a real emphasis that we want to uh we want to sort that out and get that box ticked yeah absolutely you nailed it right there as you as you say that it's, it's a trophy we haven't won it's a tro- it's a competition we haven't been uh we haven't sort of dominated and haven't been that successful in so i think you know we're at a stage and, and that always seems to happen with 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 t20 i guess that might be a bit of a criticism my point that you know we don't play a lot of t20 um in between World Cups, but when the World Cup comes, we sort of cram in. I think we had at the start of this series, we had 22 in the last, and that's leading into the World Cup. So, um, you know, right or wrongly, that's 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 for the ICC to sort out. But yeah, with with what we've got coming up, um, you know, it, it's obviously creating time in the schedule that um, you know we've had times when we've had you know a Test side playing one one side of the world and, and a T20 side finishing. So it's really hard to to have. You know, you, you, if you've got players that play in, in both formats uh, or all formats, it's really hard to have them in, in two places at once. So, um, you know, the, the schedule as it is now, yeah, we, we're able to have the, the best players that, that the selectors think are the best T20 players, and and it's, it's showing. I mean, Steve Smith, for instance, hadn't played a T20 for three years, and, no. and he's been able to do that now, and and, uh, and we're doing well. So, definitely, preparations are leading into into next year's World Cup. Ryan Harris with us here on Sports Day. And, and, and to be successful in this format, Ryan, you've, you've simply got to have all elements firing, bat, ball, which you're mostly looking after, of course, with the, the squad at the moment, yeah. but in the field. Uh, and it seems as though Australia, while there's always room for improvement at the moment, uh, there, isn't a, there isn't a weak link. Uh, there's not, no. And it's, that's the other thing as well. We're able to pick, you know, as you say, you pick your, your, your role players for the, with the ball. Um, obviously, guys that start, guys who bowl in the middle, then guys who bowl at the death, and then same as the bat. You know, you want guys that you know go hard and and you know have the guys through the middle, and then go and finishes, and that's exactly what we've got. So, um, you know, with the and with the field, the big the big um, Justin's put a big sort of um, emphasis on fielding. Yeah. Um, that the fielding will win your games. Obviously, you've got to bat bat and bowl well, but fielding will win your games. I think you saw the other night with David Warner's run out, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, you know, that that's the sort of stuff that we're after and. Um, you know, you, you, yeah, you've got to be sharp, and, and, and every run you save or every run out you get, uh, it could be that big batsman and the opposition that uh, that you run out. So a huge emphasis on fielding, and, and that's what J- um, Justin's been um, sort of drilling into the guys since, since I've been involved in these C20s. You got Mr. Cricket over there with you too, Rhino. Mike Hussey has taken on a uh, a mentoring role within the group, and yeah, I know there's uh, a lot of experience in it amongst that T20 side at the moment, but it doesn't matter how long you've been around, you can always learn something from former pros, and, well, there were none more professional than Mike Hussey. Yeah, what a legend. It's great to be now to uh, spend some time with him. I've, I've sort of seen him bits and pieces since, yep. since I retired, or he retired, but um, double spend some time with him and just sit in meetings and listen to him talk. Uh, yeah, you're right. He, he is a legend. He's, he was the ultimate professional, and... Um, you know, again, it's. I, I guess that's why Justin has us all in. You know, different sort of people in there that he he, he picks things up that I wouldn't even think about. So li- listening to him talk and 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 sort of you know picking his brain and seeing what he picks up out in the ground mm-hmm. is fantastic. And I can guarantee you the players when he talks, they sit and listen. And yeah. and, and you know, he's he's got a good relationship with a lot of the guys. And um, you know, he just wants the the, the thing I love about Mike Huss, Mike Hussey is he just wants the guys to do well. And he's and he, 
you know, he, someone walks out, and Ben McDermott walks out, walks out. He just wants him to do well. He's, he's chatted to him. He knows what Ben's all about and, and what he's trying to achieve. And he just wants that player to do well. And that's what I love about Mike Hussey. He just loves that passion for the game. Hey, Rhino, just quietly, it's a, uh, it's a pretty good time to be an Australian fast bowling coach because <laughs> I don't think our, our stocks have ever run deeper. And when you look at guys like Chad Sayers, Jackson Bird, who are taking wickets for fun in Shield cricket, you know, they might be fifth, sixth or seventh on the pecking order at the moment. It just goes to demonstrate how fortunate we are and, and how rich the talent is in, in that particular department. So while it's, um, I'm sure, uh, a tough job at times, it must be a lot of fun yeah. to have to work with such incredible talent. Yeah, it is. And, and I must stress, I'm only into the T20s. I'm not going further into the test matches, unfortunately, yep. uh, just yet. That's Troy Cooley's uh, role bat. Uh, obviously, yeah, that, that's part of my role and what I do. I, I, I always have to make sure what's, who's going well and what's going on in the bowling department. Mm. And you're spot on. I think, I think it showed in, um, in England where we hadn't had Pattinson, Cummins, Stark and uh, Hazelwood all fit at once. Yeah. Uh, and I think we saw over there um, the dominance that they showed during that series. The, you know, the, the preparation that, that was put into them, um, the execution of what they were trying to do. And, and, and you know, we swapped around a little bit, I guess. We've got James Pattinson, who's still making his sort of comeback into, into this sort of level, high-level cricket from a, mm. from a serious backing dream. We were able to um, not rotate. Rotate's the wrong word. I guess pick bowlers that were suited to certain conditions and that we, yep. that we hadn't been sort of great in the past. So um, to have that flexibility, we haven't had for a long, long time. And then again, it's for me as a coach looking at it now, or if I was a selector, you'd like, it's fantastic to see that we've got depth. And it's um, you know, it might be unfortunate for Jackson Bird, who's tried so hard for so long, as well as Chad, Chad Say is sort of, you know, as you said, probably a little bit down the pecking order. But, um, you know, the, the best thing we can do, a bit like the batters, we, we want batters making runs, we want bowlers taking wickets. Mm. And if there's opportunity that it comes up uh, and you're bowling well, that's the best time to make, you know, to enter an international or the Australian team when you're bowling well. So it's a great thing to have and a good, a great, a really good dilemma for, for Justin and the selectors. Yeah, absolutely. Just before we let you go, Rhino, I know it's a little bit in the distance, but in December, of course, we get into the big bash swing and uh, you're moving out of the commentary box. I've got to say, I'm a, just a touch disappointed about that <laughs> quietly. I loved working alongside you last summer, but you're actually going to be working alongside Darren Lehman as an assistant coach at the Brisbane Heat. And boy, oh boy, is there some buzz around that particular franchise right now. Uh, how excited are you about that? Yeah, look, really, really excited. Um, great to be back with... Um, sad to be sorry, sad to be leaving you in the commentary box. Absolutely, <laughs> had a great time there. But uh, yeah, great great to be joining uh, back with Darren Um you know, he's been, he virtually was in my cricket life the whole time I played and, 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 and even, you know, he coached me. So great, great to, and, and obviously thankful for him for giving me an opportunity to get into the big bash. It's something I've been wanting to do for a little while. Uh, albeit a little bit interrupted this year, I guess I've got an under 19 World Cup coming up as well. Mm. So that'll sort of take over halfway through. But, yep. uh, yeah, look, hopefully for the future. But great to be, uh, great squad. As you said, uh, AB de Villiers, I mean, that's a massive coup for, big, for the big bash. And, oh, yeah. um, to have him, have him there coming in and, and, you know, he's going to be outstanding. So, Yes, uh, yeah, seeing it from a commentary view, uh, one year and, and, and beyond the, the lines of, of coaching the next, it's going to be great. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. Really exciting times ahead when it comes to not only the T20 World Cup, but test matches, young guns coming through. The Shield is on fire, of course, at the moment in the T20s, which will wrap up tomorrow in Perth. Mate, all the very best with the rest of your time with the squad and, of course, with the Brisbane Heat. I'm sure we'll be catching up with you at some stage once the big bash rolls around. But, mate, thanks for joining us on Sports Day. We'll chat again soon. No worries, mate.
Thank you, Benny. Thanks, mate. Ryan Harris joining us there. We'll take a quick break. When we return, Sarah Walsh, former Matilda, and now one of the heavy hitters on the Football Association board, talking about the new collective bargaining agreement that is going to see the Matildas and the Socceroos paid on equal footing moving forward. A huge landmark progressive event for sport here in Australia. We'll do that next. You are listening to Off the Bench. Stick around. Plenty more still to come. This is Off the Bench. We'll be back right after this. It's time to nominate the Makita Power Player, Makita's cordless power garden range, the landscaper's choice. Yeah, when power means business, you know you've got a Makita in your hand and there's a simple nomination. Very easy for our Makita Power Performance. Not a player, but a team, an organisation, and they are the Matildas who have had a huge week off the field, hoping to replicate this on-field with upcoming games against Chile. But the announcement with a brand-new collective bargaining agreement which will change the landscape of Australian football. Earlier in the week, I caught up with former Matildas star and now a board member, Sarah Walsh, to talk about just why this is such a massive event for the game moving forward. For me, the big win is for this younger generation. So they're looking... Um, at this new deal now they're thinking wow I can I can make a goal of this when I was their age when I was up and coming 12, 14 didn't know who the Matildas were now we're renowned now there's going to be an established professional career path for them I think it's phenomenal I think it's just going to attract more females to the game Well, there you go. Elise Kellon-Knight speaking today at a landmark event for Australian football, a collective bargaining agreement which is going to benefit the Matildas in a huge, huge way. To tell us all about it and what it all means and, of course, to preview some big games coming up against Chile as the Olympic qualifier preparation continues. We've got a former Matilda who represented Australia 70 times, scored 31 goals, played at the Olympics, Asian and World Cups as well, not to mention a Sydney FC Championship winner. Sarah Walsh here on Sports Day. Sarah, welcome. What a, what a massive day for the game in this country, but in particular women's football. Yeah, thank you, Benny. Um, yeah, it's been a massive day, really, and I think the, you know, the, the public response for us has been um, probably the most pleasing thing. Um, wouldn't have expected anything else, but um, and it's, it's, you know, there's been a lot of work behind the scenes to get to this point, but um, we're pretty happy with the outcome. Absolutely, and it's more than just dollars. I think that's something that we don't want to get lost in the wash-up to this because, of course, yeah, the financial side of things is important, but this collective bargaining agreement, it's all-encompassing, isn't it, Sarah, in regards to uh, the way players will travel, the sports science, the support services around the girls as well, which uh, will be brought up to speed with basically the same type of level as what the Socceroos enjoy. Yeah, exactly right. So um, it's, it's a new payment structure through a revenue-sharing I guess, scheme. So that's basically split down the middle. 19% of the um, national team um, player-generated revenue. And so that's the split straight down the middle. Um, the way in which the, the contracts are paid um, are a little bit different. The Matildas have retainers because obviously, you know, the club system and the payment system in, in club land, this is um, more often than not their primary um, source of income. So the, the, uh, the Socceroos have match payments. Um, but like you said, it's, mm. it's all the performance standards. It's 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 the opportunities that are provided to the Socceroos and have done for a while are now um, afforded to the Matildas. And you know, Elise Kellan Knight at the press conference said something today that um, that really stuck with me. And she just said it's about respect and yeah. 
we often, we often forget about that. It's it's actually quite simple when you scale it back. So um, it's true equality within the um, the national team framework. And, and the other thing that caught my ear from Elisa's comments was that yeah, while it's great for the, the current crop and they'll enjoy the benefits of that, it's more about the next generation and the and the goals that young girls can now set themselves as a pathway, a career, something they know they can pursue and be well remunerated for. I just wanted to ask you your thoughts, Sarah, as one of the previous generations of Matilda stars do you take a bit of a sense of pride you know a bit of a pioneer you helped push this and have obviously played your role much like the current crop to lift the Matilda standards to such a professional level that this this had to happen yeah absolutely I think um you know each each and every generation had their own challenges and I feel like I was I was part of the um the privileged privileged few who had um, you know, we, I was there actually on the players executive for the PFA, um, negotiating our first ever contract. So, you know, when you talk to women that are, are 10 years older than me, their stories are just, uh, in stark contrast to mine. So, you know, every, every generation had it better than, um, the previous one. And I think that's the beauty about this. The, this current crop of Matildas are thinking about the next generation and, and that's been carved out through, um, I talked about 19% is actually going to the, the current players' um, salary allocation. Yep. However, an extra 5% um, on top of that, so 24 all up, um, goes to youth national teams split down the middle. So, you know, you've got a group of players that are thinking about the next generation and, um, you know, they've put their, basically put their money where their mouth is and, um, carve that out for future generations through the revenue scheme as well. Former Matilda star Sarah Walsh joining us here on Sports Day. And unlike other FAs that have, have, have done similar deals around the globe, Sarah, the, the one point of difference that's worth noting, and I think for maybe some of the naysayers out there that um, haven't quite read the fine print of this CBA, the Socceroos haven't been forced to take a pay cut in any of this. And Ball reports, it's been the, the men themselves that have been some of the biggest advocates for making sure this CBA gets signed off on. They have. And um, look, I think you, you, you really can't, uh, it's not a like-for-like comparison. The framework's a little bit different. Um, one of the distinct differences is around the, um, given that it's derived from national um, team player generated revenue, because um, if, if obviously if football booms and, and mm. we see growth in the game, the players will always get a percentage of that, and I think rightly so. So um, it's in everybody's best interest to work together to grow the game. Um, and, you know, these are our flagship products. Um, people that, you know, they're actually employees of ours that we um, that we want to work together with and actually grow the game. Yeah. And, you know, look at the Matilda's profile at the moment. We have a game on Saturday. Mm. We're expecting around 20,000, which will break our, our own record. Um, so it's exciting times ahead. Absolutely. And you stole my thunder there too, Sarah, because I was going to touch on Bankwest Stadium because I did want to talk a little bit of football with you before we let you go. Uh, a beautiful new stadium. It's going to be the perfect venue for this game. And yeah, you're right. I think 16,800 odd is the, the previous domestic record for a Matilda's home game. And they are expecting to smash that. These are really important contests, not only Saturday at Bank West, but also next week down in Adelaide at Cooper Stadium as uh, preparations continue towards those uh, Olympic qualifiers next Feb. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, one of those unique opportunities the coach gets to spend time. They've been together for the week. Um, they'll obviously play that match on Saturday, then head to Adelaide for Tuesday night, um, which is 
been a very long time since we've been in Adelaide, um, and I actually played in the, the previous games in 2006, mm. so that's way too long um, between <laughs> games. But um, really good opposition. Chile did quite well. They yeah. had a very, very tough group um, at the World Cup, and I thought, you know, punched well above their weight. But uh, last time we had Chile here, they, um, they beat us in one of the games, mm. which was a, a really shock result for us. So I think that... Um, Although it's a great opportunity to, to test the team and, and have them play in a particular way, um, building towards February, um, you know, it, it's equally as important to win in front of your home crowd because we're trying to drive that interest here. So uh, massive opportunity, um, very, very difficult circumstances to, to um, qualify for the yeah. Olympics. There's only two spots. Um, so that makes it awfully difficult, and that's that's probably the reason why we you know, we missed two Olympics um, throughout the period of time. Um, but this team is much better than any team we've had in the past. I think their times now. It's pretty brutal that uh, World Cup qualifying phase. I think three games in six days: China, Taiwan, and Thailand. Uh, so having the depth and. Uh, even though we are missing a couple of uh, our regulars for these games against Chile, what it does for, I guess, Ante Milicic is gives him an opportunity to uh, look at the depth of the of the playing squad. And come uh, February, you know, you're not going to have the same eleven play all three games in that short space of time. So it's a chance for some of those fringe players, perhaps, to put their hand up. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, any any does have obviously have to start thinking about that depth um, whilst keeping an eye on results. But um, you know. <laughs> It's everything to play for with these players. There's a W League right in the middle of all yep. of that, and everybody will have the opportunity to to make that step up, and he'll have some tough decisions to make. Yeah, well, that W League launch is happening tomorrow with nine clubs getting set to battle it out. Another exciting Westfield W League season is ahead. Sarah, I know you're a very busy person today because it has been a massive and a landmark day for Australian football. We greatly appreciate your time here on Sports Day. Massive news for the Matildas, massive news for the game right across the country. And uh, thanks for your insight on it. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Sarah Walsh joining us there, great footballer in her own right and now getting the job done off the field to help nurture the next generation of female superstars and it has been a huge, huge story through the week. We'll take a quick break here on Off the Bench. When we come back, we'll talk some tennis. Speaking of huge, the year of Ash Barty, that's one way of describing it and she's got one last hurdle to overcome to make it the perfect year, I would have thought, and that is to help Australia across the line in the Fed Cup in Perth. I caught up with Brett Phillips earlier on in the week. We'll have that on the other side of this break. This is Off The Bench. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Off The Bench, right around Australia. Hey, welcome back to Off The Bench. Great to have you with me, Benny Jones. Nearly done for the hour, but before we sign off, uh, we've got to hear from Brett Phillips, all things tennis and Ash Barty. The real subject of a lot of conversation about whether this is the best Australian sports person of 2019. Be a hard argument against her after a wonderful triumph in Shenzhen with $6.5 million going into the kitty, if you don't mind, but confirming her status as the best female tennis player in the world. Caught up with BP earlier on in the week to talk about not only that, but what's next and what the future of Australian tennis looks like as we head into the summer and, of course, not far away from the Australian Open. Game, set, match, Barty. The Barty brilliance shines bright in Shenzhen as the world number one upends the defending champion and picks up another spectacular triumph at the WTA's most prestigious event. 
The 2019 year-end number one is the last one in the winner's circle for the season. As she wins the final event of this decade and does so in dramatic style. Yeah, joining us on Sports Day, thanks to Tennis Only, which is Australia's number one online tennis retailer at www.tennisonly.com.au. Shipping all over Australia is a man who, well, I'm not sure the smile could get much wider at the moment. Tennis absolutely booming in this country, and we consider him our Mr. Tennis here on Sports Day. Brett Phillips, who joins us on the back of Ash Barty's amazing win over there at the WTA Finals. BP, welcome, mate. Uh, we are riding a fair wave at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, it's a good time, Benny, absolutely. And, you know, I think about the times when we were, you know, only talking about, and I was only being asked about Nick Kyrgios and yep. Bernard Tomic. And it, it's nice to talk about a person who is obviously outstanding on court, but just superb off the court. And uh, I don't know if there's a more popular sports person hmm. in Australia right now. It'd be an interesting poll to take, mm. but she's winning a lot of love and. I'll tell you what, that bank account oh, exploded overnight. Yeah. Well, look, BP, to, to add to your point, and I'm not trying to just appease anyone out there listening by suggesting it's all about the girls, but at the moment, I think you're right, the one, two, three might be Ash Barty, Elise Perry and Sam Kerr, just the way that they uh, connect with the public. They're so likeable, and Ash is just everything we want in an Australian athlete. Uh, we saw her performance over there in Shenzhen, uh, we've seen that obviously uh, she has already got her eyes firmly set on the Fed Cup final, so she's determined to finish her season on the best possible note, which just sounds ridiculous to say after you've picked up a check for, what was it, about six mil? Crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, if she ended the season right now, and I think she made a comment last night when she won, that she wouldn't mind just going home and have a couple of beers and uh, just putting the feet up on the couch, but there's still another week to go, and, um, you know, she's going to be front and centre of the Fed Cup team, and you know, really, it's going to be on her shoulders to win this uh, Fed Cup, and uh, that that's the candles. And uh, on top of what is a beautiful cake that uh, she's put together this year, and uh, everything, you know, has just turned to gold, really. And that just her consistency, and uh, yeah, I mean, forget the money. It's you know, I, th- I think in the end, the, the, her legacy off court, I think, in time, people probably can't see it right now because. I know Courtney Walsh wrote a great piece in The Australian, which I think was in The Australian on the weekend of a, a little trip that Ash and Yvonne Goolagong did up to Cairns uh, about three weeks ago. And, you know, these two, I mean, you know, from different eras who have become really connected and both their humility is unbelievable. I mean, Yvonne Goolagong, I've been lucky to do a dinner with her a couple of years ago. She's the most humble champion you'd ever meet. And Ash Barty's following in those sort of footsteps. And it's a great piece if you if you haven't read that about uh, just you know the legacy that Yvonne's created with the Indigenous community and what Ash will eventually create and um, you know she's just got great people around her from her manager to her coach to all the people giving her advice and you know she's just handling all the media stuff really really well but the most important thing is getting it done inside the tram lines and. Um, you know, she's got all the answers. I mean, all the girls have got to find a way. They, have, they can't match her consistency this year. She, you can't win everything in tennis every single week you step out, but her consistency's been better than anyone else. Well, yeah, BP, what is it about Ash's game from uh, someone with the close knowledge of her tennis and, and world tennis? What is it about her game that makes her such a champion? Is, is there one or two things you can really put your finger on? Well, I think it's such a throwback to what, 
modern tennis right now is on both the men's and the women's side, which is a lot of crash and bash and power. And girls feed off power and can, um, you know, then turn, you know, receiving that power into uh, turning on their own power. Whereas Asha's sending you back all this different sort of stuff that you're thinking, wow, okay, I've got to deal with this dipping slice around my ankles. Or, you know, it's just, you know, the spins and the slices are hard. And, and the way she thinks herself around a tennis court. So at the moment, and this is not to say she's going to go on and necessarily dominate the sport. Uh, and, you know, she's not like the outstanding, you know, clear number one by thousands and thousands of points. Mm. It's pretty tight. But she's, uh, even when, you know, she's had a bit of adversity, which she even had through Shenzhen. I mean, she lost a match to Kiki Burton. She was a mm. set down uh, in a couple of matches. But her ability to win ugly at times, to win with beautiful fluency and stroke making, she wins in all sorts of different ways. And that's where she can go to plan A, B, C, D and E. And a lot of them can't get out of plan A. So right now that's serving her well. But no doubt players, coaches will catch up. They'll find a way. And she's got to find a way then to negate that. So it's a really, it's a great time in women's tennis. Yeah, and it's great to know she has got the smarts and, uh, you know, and that variety in her game. Of course, she's going to lead us in the uh, the Fed Cup final against France. That's in, in Perth this weekend. Um is there a chance that Sam Stosa, who's been very successful for us in Fed Cup, but yeah. is there a chance that she won't aim, um, be there next to Ash? Well, I think if it comes down to the doubles, which it very well could, I think I think Barty and Stosa would play the doubles tie like they did against Belarus in the semi in Brisbane going back in April. Absolutely, Tom Janovich has been brought into the team to play, not to sit on the pine. Now, mm. she's our, been our second best-ranked player all year round. She's been able to stay around that 40, 50 mark. Very capable. Now that officially, with the paper stamp, she can actually play Fed Cup for Australia, I, I reckon she's capable of pinching one of the reverse singles, either against uh, Christina Miladinovic or Caroline Garcia. I think they're the two that will most likely, and they're two highest-ranked singles players. I think they'll, they'll certainly go with that. So I think Isla's capable uh, because uh, Ladinovich is about 40 in the world, 45 Garcia, and Tom Yanovich is 51. So if she pinches one of the reverse singles, Australia's just about home because you're back in Ash to win her too. And then the pressure's not on necessarily the doubles. Now, it's you know for Sam Stozer, that's a bit of a, a tough pill to swallow. I do, she did comment overnight because she made the semis of the doubles in Shenzhen at the WTA final. So really good tournament for Sam. So she's in good doubles form. And she certainly has put her hand up to acknowledge, well, right now, I am not, I'm not the second-best singles player. And whatever's best for Alicia Mollick to win this for Australia for the first time in 45 years, um, she'll certainly support. So, yeah, I think that's the way Australia has to go with selection. Just a couple before we let you go. Really quickly here, BP, appreciate your time for tennis only as well. Australia's number one online tennis retailer. The expectation now builds exponentially ahead of January's Australian Open. And it's been a, a little while since we go to that tournament with genuine hope that we've got a, a male and a female tennis player that can really do some damage. And I refer to Alex Dimonor being the, the male element of that. And clearly Ash, our leading female in years gone by, of course, Nick Kyrgios has been in the conversation, but more about which week he would mm. um, have his, his, his brain explosion. And generally it's been in week one. So... With that expectation, you reckon Ash will handle it really well? Just quickly on Alex Dimonor, his year. Yep. We can't undersell how impressive that's been. Oh, he's been outstanding, Benny, and he's got one more week to go. So he's in Milan right now for the next gen, the best of the 21 and unders. And 
He'll play three matches this week. He's world number 18. He's had seven weeks off tour. He's made four finals. I mean, he, he's he's growing in stature all the time. I've got no doubt he's heading towards the top 10 Demonor. And look, these two put them in the same basket almost. They were the joint Yukon medalists going back 12 yeah. months ago. They carry themselves exceptionally well. Fierce competitors on the court. I mean, Alex Demonor, he hates to lose a point. Hmm. And that's right out of the Rafael Nadal school book. So, uh, yeah, no, he, he, both of them are, I think, are on, on course to stay around the top echelon for a little while. Whether they can, oh, Ash has already broken through. Whether Alex can, that's going to be tougher yeah. on the men's side. But, gee, we've got two that we can be really, really proud of. Speaking of which, Tennis Only, Australia's number one online tennis retailer. You can find them online at tennisonly.com.au. They'll ship all over Australia. Brett Phillips joining us there on Sports Day earlier on in the week, and that'll do us for Off the Bench. Thanks for your company. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a massive week of sport. More to come. Hope you have a cracking weekend, and we'll see you back here same time next week.